for prayer to the disciples, but it isn't recorded of Jesus praying that prayer. He said, this is the manner in which you are to pray. But we see the actual prayer of Jesus there in chapter 17 as he prays for himself. And in that, it's a powerful, powerful um, thing that we can look at, that prayer. And then he prays for the disciples, and then he also prays for all believers in the future. And so we want to look at that portion of prayer that I think is going to be a blessing to you. As It's interesting because as you look at the Upper Room Discourse, it's kind of like it, it just kind of goes higher and higher to this height spiritually in, in John chapter 17, that priestly prayer of Jesus there that is so wonderful. And we're going to spend some time in prayer next Wednesday. And uh, parents, we're going to have the youth in here as well and so they can listen. We'll have communion on Wednesday night. And then Friday on the 8th of April at noon, we're going to have a good Friday service again with communion being available. And uh, it's going to be a short service, a family service. And uh, we won't have nursery or, or anything like that on noon on Friday. So just come on in. And we're just going to reflect once again on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, take communion. And then on Sunday, which is uh, Easter Sunday, the 12th of April, 8.30 and 10.30, we're going to celebrate uh, Jesus' resurrection. And so a lot to look forward to next week. These pink flyers uh, are, have been given to you in your bulletin. And again, I've given you an assignment. Don't take those and throw them away. Give them to somebody. Let them throw it away if they want to. But my point is invite somebody out to church. Invite them to Easter Sunday. Pray about who it is that you would invite. You can invite more than one person too. I forgot to mention that. Okay, Invite as many people as you want. Family members, those in your neighborhood, uh, those that you work with. Uh, come out to Easter. Come this Sunday, whenever it might be. Uh, and you can give them that so they have the address and the times and all of that. So um, that's what I wanted to pass along to you, and again, be in prayer. So lady study tomorrow, men's breakfast on Saturday, and then the conference on the website, and then uh, the services on Sunday. So that's what's coming up uh, here in the next few days. So, Father, we ask that you would, again, just bless this time in the study of your word. And, Lord, we come tonight and we desire to hear from you once again. Lord, we desire to learn from these messages that are being trumpeted by these two silver trumpets, knowing that we can make application. Those are messages, just as it was to the children of Israel, that we can make application in the messages that you want to give to us tonight. So, Father, open our ears to hear from you. Lord, also know that, um, that, that Father, that we need to be ones that, that needs your help. It teaches by your Holy Spirit. Help us to, to be attentive and, and to listen. And Lord, to receive what it is that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Numbers chapter 10, and what we read, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourself, and you shall make them of hammered work. And you shall use them for calling the congregation and for the directing the movement of the camps. When they blow both of them, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. But if they blow only one, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel, shall gather to you. Verse 5, when you sound the advance, the camps that lie on the east side shall then begin their journey. When you sound the advance the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall begin their journey, and they shall sound the call for them to begin their journeys." 
And when the, the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow but not sound the advance. Verse 8, the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets, and these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. And when you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm in the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. Also in the day of your gladness, in your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offering, and they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. And so Moses here is told to make two silver trumpets. And of course, as we study the book of Exodus, as we saw all the different furnishings of the tabernacles, we saw uh, the different uh, things that were a part of the tabernacle, two silver trumpets were mentioned very briefly in the book of Exodus. There is no detail given to us what these two silver trumpets were to be about until now when we get to Numbers chapter 10. Now we know that trumpets are used to make music, aren't they? Usually when we hear of a trumpet, we think music is going to be sounded, and of course, it is used for that, and it's a very beautiful instrument, and a tremendous blessing uh, to be used in the worship service. But also we know that not only is a trumpet used to make music, but it's also, throughout the ages, has been used to communicate messages, hasn't it? Even in our own military, the trumpet or the bugle was used to call the troops to mess or to wake them up early in the morning. And so trumpets are used in that way to, to bring a message to people. And these silver trumpets will be used to communicate messages to the children of Israel. And as we've read the first 10 verses, we're going to see that there are five messages or five things that the Lord communicates to the children of Israel when these two silver trumpets are blown in a particular manner. Now that would be important because this was a day where there was no TV, there was no mass media or news agencies, there was no cell phones or emails or anything like that. So communication uh, was different, and of course it was limited, not like what we have today in mass communication. And these two silver trumpets would be used to be able to blow these messages throughout the camp. Remember, there's two, three million people, probably closer to three million people, that are in the camp of the children of Israel. And so as I mentioned to you, as we read here, there are five messages that the Lord is, is blowing through these silver trumpets to give to the children of Israel. We saw in verse 3 that when the trumpets were blown, it was to assemble the congregation at the door of the tabernacle. Second of all, in verse 4, when one trumpet was blown, then it was to assemble the leaders of Israel. Thirdly, in verses 5 through 7, when the trumpets were sounded, it was to direct the marching orders of the people. Now you recall that as we ended Numbers chapter 9, that there was told to us again how it was the Shekinah glory of God that was in the midst of the camp. The children of Israel all camped around the tabernacle. The tabernacle there in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was and the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, would hover above the tabernacle. It, it was the tangible presence or the Shekinah glory of God. And that's what made the nation of Israel so unique because God was in their midst. He was in the midst of the camp. 
But whenever that pillar would lift and begin to move, then the children of Israel would pack up and they would have to move in a specific order. Now, when we get to verses 11 through much of the end of the chapter, we're going to see once again how it's laid out that they were to march in very specific order. The eastern camp, starting with Judah, would begin to march, and then the south, and then the tabernacle, then the west, and then the north. And we'll get to that in a few minutes. But these trumpets would be blown when the, the pillar of, would move, and, and then it would to give that communication that they were to uh, begin marching through the wilderness. We know that fourthly, verse 9 declares that when the alarm was given by these trumpets, that it would call the people into battle. And then fifthly, verse 10, the trumpets were blown over the sacrifices to celebrate worship. So here are five messages that were communicated to the people with these two silver trumpets. Number one, to assemble the people together. Second of all, to call leadership together. Thirdly, to give direction for marching. Fourthly, to, to go into battle. And then fifthly, to celebrate through worship. And as we look at this, certainly these are five messages that the Lord, I believe, would desire to communicate to us, to, to trumpet to you and to me here tonight. He wants us to understand that as just in that day in the wilderness that he would give those messages to the children of Israel, we can make application for us tonight. Because first of all, even as the trumpets were used to assemble the congregation at the door of the tabernacles, we saw in verse 3, so the Lord is trumpeting to us. He's communicating to us, proclaiming to us that he wants us to assemble in his presence. And I hope and pray that we would always understand that the Lord desires and wants you and me to come into his presence. We know that that is possible because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. And what we're going to see on Sunday morning in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, as he cries out, it is finished, that Matthew would record that there in the temple in Jerusalem, the temple being the permanent structure, the tabernacle, of course, that we've been studying was a temporary structure that they had as they wandered through the wilderness. The temple being that permanent structure in Jerusalem where they did the sacrifices, it was set up in a way that was similar to the tabernacle. They had the holy place and then the most holy place and the veil that separated the two rooms. And when Jesus cried out, it is finished, Matthew records that that veil would tear, would rip from top to bottom and it would come down. And can you imagine those priests? Remember, only the priests were allowed to go into the holy place. Only the high priest was allowed to go behind the veil to make atonement for the sins of the nation once a year as that would take place on the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur. And so those priests would be able to see into the Holy of Holies, again, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the mercy seat was, where the Shekinah glory of God was. And so that would be amazing for them to be able to see into that room. And I believe that what we are being declared in that, as Matthew says that the veil was ripped, is that the Lord is saying, now you can come into my presence. It's not just the high priest. Now it's not just the priest either. Now it's everyone who desires to come into my presence because of what Jesus Christ has just done. He cried out, it is finished. The price has been paid. The work is done. I have redeemed you now by my blood. I paid the price for you. 
for your sins. Again, we'll talk a little bit more about this on Sunday morning. So the writer of Hebrews comes along, declares, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and I be- believe that if we would just sit down and really think about that, what a marvelous opportunity and what a glorious privilege that we have to actually be in the presence and go into the presence of the creator of the universe, the one who spoke and the universe came into existence, that he wants me to come into his presence and spend time with him? I don't fully understand it. I do rejoice in it. And it's important for us as Christians to understand that God desires for you to come not just once a year, for you for to come anytime you want and stay as long as you want to fellowship with him. He desires to fellowship with you. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock the, at the door of your heart. And if you would just open up, I will come in and sup with you and dine with you or have fellowship, closeness with you. And there have been times in my life I thought, Lord, you want to have fellowship with me? You want to, you know, me to come into your presence? He says, yes, that's what he's declaring to you and to me tonight. The Lord is trumpeting. I want to spend time with you. I'm calling you to my tabernacle. But folks, not only that individually, but us congregationally, just as the whole congregation would come at the tabernacle meeting, that's where the Lord said, I'm going to meet with you, Moses, and my people there at, at the tabernacle. That's why it was built, so he can meet with his people. And it's very important for us to understand, and I feel like I'm preaching to the choir a little bit tonight, because you guys are here on Wednesday nights. But it's important for us to understand Maybe we can encourage others in this, that, that we come together congregationally, corporately together, and it pleases the Lord when we do that. When we come and we worship, when we come and break bread, when we come and fellowship with one another, when we come and study His Word, it pleases the Lord when we do that. So in Hebrews chapter 10, if you read that we can come into His presence because of what Jesus Christ has done, not in our own goodness, our own righteousness, only because of what Jesus Christ did in shedding his blood for you and me, making reconciliation possible to have relationship with the Father, that later on in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the matter of some. There were some that were in the early church saying, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be with the brethren. And the commandment is given to us very specifically there in Hebrews chapter 10. Don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together, as is the manner of son, especially when you see the day approaching. And I don't know about you, but we see the day approaching, don't we? In the days in which we're living in, I believe that we are seeing that the Lord is coming is very nigh, very soon. And so how important it is for us that we be in the presence of the Lord and encourage those because probably a lot of us know those who say, well, it's not important for me to be in fellowship. It's not important for me to be in the church and those Christians this and I just want to go up in the mountains and, you know, sit by a tree and that's my church up there. And I understand that there are times where we get along with the Lord, that we can do that with the Lord. But the Lord also says, don't neglect the assembly of yourselves together corporate meeting come together as a church as we do on sundays as we do on wednesday nights other times that we get together for fellowship is very very important and as we talked about last week when we talked about the menorah this the seven branch menorah that was spoken of in the book of numbers then also we know that in revelation chapter one there's those seven menorahs 
that we see there that Jesus is standing in the midst of those seven menorahs that represent the seven churches there in Proconsular Asia. Jesus is in the midst of his church. He's into his church. He loves the church. And he would turn to them and he would communicate to them a message as well. So the Lord desires to speak to us individually, for us to come into his presence, to speak to us corporately, for us corporately to come together and not to neglect it. Secondly, not only is he trumpeting for us to call us in the fellowship with him, but also we see in verse 4, calling leaders in the council. And so too, the Lord is calling you into positions of service. He, he desires to open up opportunities for you in service. Now, that service might be here in the church. It might be in your home. It might be in your neighborhood. It might be at work. It might be to your own family. It can be in a number of areas. But I hope that we are understanding that as we gather here and we're going through the book of Numbers and we're seeing how the Lord numbered the Levites and we go through those names and the leaders and we see how each family has a specific duty that they are to perform and how the priests had their specific duties, I, I hope we're getting the understanding that the Lord has something specifically for us to do. And then the other tribes, how it is that they could dedicate and consecrate themselves to the Lord. And it pleases the Lord in using us and folks, saints, Listen, we are saved to serve, not just saved to sit. Now, I know that there are times where we're going to be in those places where we're going to be in prayer and praying for those, and that's service to the Lord. But all of us have something to offer. All of us can do something. All of us can certainly pray, can't we? We can pray for brothers and sisters. We can take the directory and go down, pray for those families, even if you don't know them. We can serve in very practical ways. But what I want to say to all of us here tonight, don't ever think that you can't serve the Lord in any capacity. The Lord chooses the foolish and weak things of the world and the things that are not to bring to naught, the things that are that no man glories in his presence. And he desires to use people like you and me. And, of course, the whole New Testament principle and truth given to us therein in First Corinthians is that we're all members of the body of Christ. And so as members, we all have something to do to make the body function so it can be a witness and a testimony to a lost world. And that's doing very simple things. That's doing very practical things. That's doing things that the Lord desires for you to give. And understand this. He has something for you to do that only you can do. And what it is that you do do and the opportunities that are given to you, whether it's you're going to pray for the fellowship at certain times, whether you're going to make a meal for somebody or work in a coffee shop or whatever it might be and mean for you, that's between you and the Lord. Don't ever think that you can't be used of the Lord and don't ever think that the ministry that the Lord has given to you, that that's not important because it is very important. Not all of us are called to, to teach Bible study. Not all of us are called to go in the mission field overseas. Sometimes we think, well, those are the people that God are using. That's almost like the mentality can be, and even the implication can be, if we're not careful, that those who are in the mission field or in full-time ministry, those are the ones that are really serving the Lord. No. All of us have certain opportunities to serve the Lord as as opportunities come and time permits and gifts that he's given to you. But just to flow in that freely and to be able to do that as the Lord leads you. And so the Lord is trumpeting good news, good news. I want to use you. I want to use you, and I can use you. And I want to make your life fulfilling and meaningful and impacting. I'm trumpeting that I want to use you. 
Thirdly, not only does the Lord want us to, to fellowship with him and minister through us, but also he wants to give direction for us, verses 5, 6, and 7. And as we track through this wilderness called the world, the Lord is saying, I want you to march according to my orders to give you direction. And again, as we saw, as we ended chapter 9, the cloud and the fire, that when it moved, that the people would move. When it stopped, they would stop and set up camp. When it went left, they went left. When it went right, they went right. They didn't get ahead of the Lord. They didn't get behind the Lord. But they stayed right where the Lord wanted them to go. Now we think, wouldn't that be cool if there was a little pillar of cloud that would lead me throughout the day where the Lord wanted me to go and I could just follow him. But you see, we have something much more superior, and that is the Holy Spirit that dwells in our hearts. But I think what can happen sometimes is we think, does God really desire and does he really want to give direction to me? And we can doubt this. We, we know it theologically, but Lord, do you really care about every situation or every circumstance or every area of my life? Do you want to give me direction? He does. He does. You know, as a parent, I want to give direction to my children. To Barbara, to Luke, to, to Rachel, to David. And especially as I see Barbara, who is becoming a young woman. She's going to be a senior in high school next year, going to be graduating next year. And Luke, he's in high school. He's becoming a young man. I, I want to be able to not only continue in raising them up in the ways of the Lord, but encouraging them and unfolding them and the gifts that God has given them and how he's made them. And begin to think about how the Lord would use them and, and the talents that they have or perhaps you know, what is on their hearts and encourage them in that area and for them to understand that you know what, as a father, that I've given you direction and I've given you, you know, everything that you need and, and to provide for you and to feed you. When you turn 18, it's going to come to an end. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I always tease my kids, when you turn 18, I'm going to buy you a suitcase for your birthday. <laughs> but then I turn around and I tell Barbara, I said, you can go to college anywhere you want to in Greeley. So... <laughs> because I am very close to my children, and I love them dearly. And, and those are things that we'll, we'll take as we get closer, but I want them to understand something, that their father has loved them through these years, and I've done my best with God's grace to raise them up in the ways of the Lord. I have a very wonderful and beautiful wife who has dedicated her life to be teaching the kids and spending time and raising them up. And when it does come time for them to leave the home, whenever that would be, that I want them to understand that there's a Heavenly Father that's going to be there to direct them and guide them. We'll be there to pray for them, to continue to give them God's counsel, but our Heavenly Father, how much more He desires to guide us every day in the direction that He would have us to go. And for you to be discerning and to go to Him, we may not fully understand it, because you see, the Lord works in a way to where he wants us to come to him day by day, trusting in him. And there are times where the Lord works, it seems like, very fast. There are times that we seem like in a holding pattern. You see, that's why the Lord was saying, listen, if the pillar of cloud and fires, they stay put, it stays put for a period of time, whether it's a day or a month or a year, you stay put, you don't move. But when it does move, you do go. 
And when those doors are open, to recognize that and to move out in faith and to go through those doors, to understand that when a door is closed, don't try to go through it because you're going to smack your head, your face, and it's going to hurt. But to know what it means to have that peace of God that rules in your heart. To know that he does desire to direct you in a way that you're going to see that he's going to bless you and that he's going to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. And understand that that's what makes being a Christian so adventurous and so wonderful and so fulfilling and satisfying is to wake up and rest in the promises of the Lord and to rest in the fact that, Lord, you're going to direct me in this day and the days ahead and you're going to get me where you want me to go. It is you that works in me both to will and to do of your good pleasures, being confident of this very thing, Philippians 1.6, that he who has begun a good work in me will bring it to completion. I am so thankful that he's going to bring it to completion. And I can trust him that he's going to do that. He wants to direct me. He wants to me to come into his presence. He, he wants to use me. You know, it was Monday and Tuesday that uh, Pastor Jim and I went out to the camp, Idrahaji. I'm getting pretty good at that, aren't I? Out west. And Jeff Christensen, who uh, has started the extension campus out there, and the main campus at Calvary Costa Mesa, there at the conference center at Marietta, and the Bible College uh, under Pastor Chuck Smith, they have an extension campus there at the camp there uh, on the western slope in Colorado. So Jeff Christensen, who came from there, Pastor Jeff, who's pastoring a little church there in Peonia, but also running the camp, that he is having students come out for a semester there to stay at the camp. So he asked Pastor Jim and I if we would come out and teach the kids for a couple days. It's kind of in the middle of the semester, and it's snowy. It's deep in the mountains. He said they're getting a little bit of cabin fever. Can you come out and can you encourage them? Can you minister to them, talk about ministry? I said, sure. And so we were blessed uh, that we went out there, and, and a couple of us went out there, and and uh, Mike drove us, and we're very thankful for that. It was snowing all the way there, and, and while we were there, and snowing there um, at the camp during the time. But it was a wonderful time. And I love what Jeff is doing. And Pastor Chuck is very much supportive of that camp and very much is excited about what's taking place at that camp, that students can come out for a semester and be in a place where there's no cell phones, there's, you know, no distractions that we have all around us. And those kids can really seek the Lord coming into his presence without all the noise, without the distractions of cell phones, limited, no TV. There's limited computer service. They have their computers where they can write notes and things like that. And it's a good place to be. And it's a good place for us to have those times where they could really, for us and, and for them particularly, to take four months to be able to pray to the Lord, where would you want us? Are you going to send me out in the mission field? Am I going to plant a church? Am I going to go back and work in the church I came from? Whatever it might be, for them to spend time with the Lord, seeking Him, to seek that direction, to get close to the Lord, to continue in the study of God's Word without all those distractions. But it's wonderful to see that. And so you and I, we need to take the time to say, Lord, where is it that you want me to go on a daily basis and consistently? If you're wondering, Lord, I know that you want me to go in a certain direction. I'm not sure. Go talk to him about it. 
and go seek counsel of him. And he will be that voice behind you saying, this is the way walk in it. And he will lead and guide you in your life. Fourthly, verse 9, it tells us that the trumpet was used to sound the alarm when the enemy would oppress them. And we read that God would save them from their enemies. Today, if you are a Christian, understand this, that there is a war out there that you and I are going to be involved in, a spiritual war. And we're going to have that spiritual battle that will take place against Satan, number one, second of all, against the flesh, and then thirdly, against the world. And as a Christian, that is why Paul would write to Timothy that you be a good soldier of Jesus Christ that must endure hardship. And being a Christian means that we are in a spiritual battle, just as we're going to see that Moses is going to do being, doing battle out here in the wilderness. Satan wants to come against us. He wants to try to get a foothold in this congregation, in your family, in your life individually. And so we are told not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. We are told that he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We don't want to go into his territory because he desires to pounce on you and to come at you. So we are told in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. And understand this, saints, that we are to each and every day put on the whole armor of God that is written there in Ephesians, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, all the different parts of the armor, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Put on the whole armor of God and know this, that Satan does not fight fair. He doesn't wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'll give Pastor Jeff a little break today. Kind of been hard on him. Eh, it doesn't matter if he's you know, waking up and he's a little tired. I think I'll give him... No, he is looking for you and for me, for this church corporately, for your family not to have that armor of God on so he can rip us apart and throw those fiery darts at us. He doesn't fight fair and he doesn't quit. Now, the good news is that he's been stripped of his authority over us. He's still going to try to get a foothold into your life and tempting you and and trying to deceive you in those ways. But we can learn from God's word, his devices and his deception in trying to get into our lives. And that's why Paul says, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. So we battle against Satan. And of course, James says, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. But second of all, against the flesh. And as we saw Jesus say to the disciples, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And as long as we're living in this body, the flesh is going to rear up its ugly head. But then we are told that we are to what? Walk in the spirit so we don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. That we are to reckon that we are dead to the flesh and that we have been raised up in the newness of life. Paul writes about that in, in Romans chapter 6, to, to offer your body as an as a, you know, instrument of righteousness. Reckon it to be so. And he's given you the power of the Holy Spirit to where we don't have to be defeated by the flesh and then thirdly the world and understand the world is not going to be your friend. I do not understand for the life of me why we're seeing this turn, it seems like, in so many of the churches turning towards the world's mentality and, and trying to, to see how close can we get to the world and still call ourselves Christians in entertainment and programs and philosophy and psychology and all of this other stuff that comes floating into the church rather than being committed to the Word of God and being led by the Spirit of God. And so much of the worldliness can come in and, and, 
And we need to be careful because the world is going to hate us as Christians. Jesus said, don't have a love for the world. And the world's going to hate you because it first hated me. And we're going to talk a little bit about that next Wednesday night as Jesus is praying that, you know what, don't have a love for the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. And so we are to be a witness and a light to a lost world that people may be able to come into a new kingdom. So there's that battle that we have, and we know that the battle takes place every day of our lives as Christians. And then fifthly, not only does he want to have fellowship with you and open up leadership opportunities for you and give direction for you and uh, for you to you know, be strong in battle and be saved from your enemies in warfare and thank God that Jesus defeated the enemy Satan at the cross. I'm thankful we have the Holy Spirit, that we can walk in the Spirit. I'm so thankful that, that we don't have to be of the world. He's taken us out of Egypt and desires to give us a life of abundance, that life abundantly of flowing with milk and honey <laughs> that he has promised to us. Because his promises are true for you and for me. But fifthly, he wants to work worship within you, verse 10. We read that they were to blow the trumpets over the burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of the peace offering. The burnt offering and the peace offerings were what? They were sacrifices of worship, not dealing with sin. But they were expressions of commitment and dedication and love. And so the Lord is saying to us, I'm calling you to worship me. We exist to bring him pleasure. We were created for his good pleasure, Revelation chapter 4. And it brings pleasure to him. And one of the most practical ways that we can bring pleasure to him is through worship. And worship not just as we lift our voices as we do before service and our hands to him. Yes, it pleases him in corporate worship. He's looking for those who will worship in spirit and truth, but just having an attitude of worship throughout the day. Lord, I thank you and I love you and I just praise you. That's a heart of worship to the Lord. So these are five things that the Lord is trumpeting to you and to me in these first 10 verses. But also, I want to note a couple of things before we move on. Notice that these trumpets in verse 2 were made out of silver. They weren't made out of brass. They weren't made out of gold. And we know that metal in the Old Testament has significance, doesn't it? That brass speaks of, what, judgment. Like the altar that was there out in the outer courtyard that they would do the sacrifices on. And, and so those, those animals sacrifice on that brass altar there. It speaks of judgment. It would be, as we're going to see later on in Numbers, as the children of Israel are murmuring against the Lord, and then snakes come into the camp and start to bite the people, and they're starting to die. And Moses cries out to the Lord, and the Lord said, Put a brass serpent on a pole and lift it up there in the middle of the camp, and whoever looks at that brass serpent is going to be saved. And so it would be later on in John chapter 3, as Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted that serpent in the wilderness, I must be lifted up. He's talking about being lifted up on the cross of Calvary where he would be judged for your sin and my sin. Take on the curse of sin, the judgment that we deserve for our sins. It was all placed upon Jesus. So brass speaks of judgment. Gold speaks of perfection and divinity. Silver speaks of redemption. And sometimes when we desire to, Lord, I want to come into your presence. (laughs) Oh, Lord, I want to be used of you. Lord, do you really want to give me direction? 
Lord, I do battle. And it seems like Satan's really coming at me. Oh, I know that I don't worship like I should. And we think that we can't receive these messages that the Lord is telling us because God just wants to judge us. We feel so condemned all the time because of our shortcomings and our failures. Now, we are to repent and confess our sins before the Lord, turn away, but I know that there are times where we can just condemn ourselves so unreasonably. There was even one of the students I talked to, he said, I'm just struggling with this. I, I want to do this. I want to get up very early in the morning, and I slept in, and I didn't have my devotion, and now I'm just full of guilt and shame. And it's like, listen, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and we, they can carry that. Perfection required before these promises are for me. The gold trumpet. Or God is just a mean old man up in heaven that wants to zap me with the lightning bolts if I get out of line. The, bra- the brass trumpets, they weren't gold, they weren't brass. They were silver trumpets. Silver to metal redemption. Jesus Christ died for you and for me. And he's saying, you are saved and I love you. And you're forgiven. <laughs> and I want you to come into my presence. And I want to direct you. And I want to use you. And I want to give you victory in the battles that you're going against. I want you to come and worship me is what I want you to do. But one last point before we move on. Notice verse 8. Who was the blowing the trumpets? The sons of Aaron's, the priest. Aaron being the, the high priest. And you see you and I, sons and daughters of the great high priest, Jesus Christ. That this is message or messages that we can give to others, a message of redemption, good news. The Lord wants to meet with you. He wants to do battle for you. He wants to direct you. He wants to use you. He desires for you to come and worship. And so verse 11, as we do move on so we can finish the chapter tonight. Now it came to pass in the 20th day of the second month, in the second year, the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle of the testimony. And the children of Israel set out from the wilderness of Sinai on their journeys, and then the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. So they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So they've been here for a while making the tabernacle. They've been there um, sanctifying and, and consecrating the priests and the Levites, making all these things, setting up camp. All this is being done. Now they're going to break camp for the first time as the clouds taken up from above the tabernacle of meeting. So um, here everything had been in place. The, the priests, the Levites, the tabernacle, uh, the order of camp, the civil uh, ceremonial laws, the covenant established, and now they're on the move. Now they're on the move. You see, for you and for me, God has saved us. He's forgiven us. He's given us His Holy Spirit. He sanctified us, set us aside. He prepares us to serve Him. And you see, being a Christian means that you just don't sit in one place. You're on the move, whatever that might mean again for us. Being a Christian doesn't mean you're just stagnant. There are too many Christians, I believe, that feel very stagnant in their walk in life with Jesus Christ 
because they're not growing in the word. They're not understanding that the Lord desires to use them. They're not understanding the truth of God's word. They're not understanding that we have the Holy Spirit to empower us and direct us. And the Lord wants to do that. They're not understanding the privilege that we have to come into his presence and to worship him. And so there's a, 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 a stagnant kind of thing that takes place in their life. When the Lord wants to move us forward, he wants us to keep moving forward in our knowledge of him and our love for him and understanding of him and whatever he has for our lives. So here are the children of Israel. They're on the move. And we see, again, specifically the order in which they would move. The standard of the camp of the children of Judah set out first according to their armies. Over their army was Nashon, a son of Aminadab. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Issachar was Nathaniel, the son of Zuar. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Zebulon was Eliab, the son of Helon. And then verse 17, the tabernacle was taken down. The sons of Gershon and the sons of Merai set out carrying the tabernacle. And the standard of the camp of Reuben was set out according to their armies. Over the army was Eleazar, the son of Shadur. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Simeon was Shalumiel, the son of Sherish Shaddai. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Gad was Elisaph, the son of Duel. And then the Kohathites set out, carrying the holy things, the tabernacle, would be prepared for the arrival. In verse 22, And the standard of the camp of the children of Ephraim set out according to the armies. Over the army was Elishama, the son of um, Amahad. And then over the tribe of the children of Manasseh was Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Benjamin was Abadan, the son of Gideonai. And then verse 25, the standard of the camp of the children of Dan, the rear guard of all the camps set out according to their armies. Over their army was Ai Ezer, the son of um, Amishadai. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Asher was Pegiel, the son of Akran. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Natali was Ahir, son of Enan. And thus the order of march of the children of Israel according to their armies when they began their journey. The set pattern in which they were to march, the tribes, the tabernacle, how it was torn down, how they were in this march. And again, we saw in Numbers chapter 2, then how they would set up camp. But verse 29, now Moses said to Hobad, the son of Reuel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out. For the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you, come with us, and we will treat you well. For the Lord has promised good things to Israel. And he said to him, I will not go, but I will depart to my own land and to my relatives. So Moses said, Please do not leave, inasmuch as you know how we are to camp in the wilderness, and you can be our eyes. And it shall be, if you go with us, indeed it shall be, that whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same will do to you. So here is this moving that's taken place. They're moving for the first time. Moses turns to his brother-in-law and says, hey, stay with us, travel with us, come with us. The Lord has promised good things to us, verse 29, and again in verse 32. A couple things to make application for us here tonight. We want to be able to tell people, come and travel with us. Don't we? Because I'm going to heaven. And I sure like it if you went with us. And God has done good things for us. That he's provided forgiveness and salvation and a chance to have relationship with the Father. You see, Jesus said, I came to give you life. And life comes through Jesus Christ alone. Come travel with us. And I don't know about you, but, but I look forward to heaven. 
I don't want to get there any sooner than the Lord wants me to. If the Lord came back tonight, that would be just fine with me. And that's why Paul says, keep your eyes on the things above, not on the things of this world. Store up your treasures in heaven is what Jesus would say. We are to be ones that we're excited about heaven, that we're looking forward to heaven. Now, Lord, you hold every breath that I take in my hand. So whatever you have for me in the days ahead, you have that ordained. I want to occupy till you come and you come for me personally or I want to just continue to be used of you and to look to you and Lord, but I do look forward to heaven. I look forward to heaven. And I look forward to the time where we're all together. What a wonderful day that's going to be. And we are together with the Lord in heaven. And so to look forward to that day is something that I believe that the Christians are to be heavenly minded and to keep our focus on heaven and to be investing in the things of the kingdom. Come with us, come with us, because good things are going to happen to us. The Lord's going to take us home. We're going to have dinner with the Lord. We're going to come back with him. We're going to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. We're going to watch him create a new heaven and a new earth. And then we get to live with him for, for all eternity. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, that's reality, folks. That's what we have faith that that's going to take place through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a living hope through the resurrection, not a dead hope. And I look forward to that time. I look forward to heaven. And I pray that you and I, all of us in here, would look forward to heaven because that keeps you from being too attached to the world, which is going to come to an end and burn up. If you're looking to the world for fulfillment and satisfaction and true meaning and purpose and and hope, it's not going to be there. It's going to leave you short. And it doesn't mean we can't enjoy doing things in life and enjoy doing our business and relationships and all of that, but our priority is heaven, and we look forward to it. We look forward to that day when the Lord is going to take us home to be with him. We look forward to the day when we're all together and we get to rule and reign with him. And you may come into this place going through difficult times or confusion or whatever it might be. You see, this is the worst that it gets for us. It's this world. And I know it can get pretty bad. But we can look forward to that which is going to get better. (laughs) And I am so grateful for that. Travel with us. Don't travel in the way of the world because it's going to come to an end. And it's going to burn up and there's going to be nothing but death and destruction and despair and hopelessness that the world has to offer. Jesus Christ has to offer life. Secondly, as we talk to other Christians, Jesus said, I came to give you life, but also life abundantly. That travel with us. Keep moving forward. Because the promises of God are still true. And he wants to do so much in your life. And he wants to bless you. And he wants to to do things in your life and give you joy and strength and peace and comfort and wisdom. Travel with us because the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Be a part of the fellowship of believers because good things will happen to us. But secondly, as I see here, initially as Hobdab, as he said, I'm going to go back to my relatives. Moses didn't give up approaching him, did he? He said, he went back and says, no, 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 no. No, come with us. Be our eyes. Because it'll be good for you. Don't give up on people that you're giving the gospel to. Don't give up. And I know that there are people in my own family and there are people that I know that it seems like they're so far away and so hard against the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm going to keep praying for them. 
I don't want to give up, but Lord, I'm going to lift them up to the Lord. That's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to present them to you. And every opportunity that I have that I want to share with them the goodness of the Lord, I want them to see in my life that, that the Lord is real and that I have a blessed life because I follow the Lord. I don't want to give up. And also for those who are struggling perhaps in, in their life with the Lord or to walk with the Lord, I don't want to give up trying to encourage them and bless them. There may be a time where they say, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to give up so easily. Again, to continue to pray for them, be an encouragement to them. But sometimes we give up so easily, don't we? Don't just have the mindset in this next week or so, okay, Pastor Jeff wants us to hand out a flyer, you know, so, hey, you, here's a flyer. If you want to come, come, you know. Okay, I did my part. Hey, pray for that person that it's on your heart to, to invite them. Pray for those people you know that aren't saved. Pray for those Christians that are struggling. But don't give up in that. And be persistent as Moses was. And then as we finish the chapter, verse 33, so they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey of three days, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them for the three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was above them by day when they went out from the camp. So it was whenever the ark set out that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. And so they were guided by God's presence, and they had the pillar. And so the ark was set out, and Moses prayed whenever that it would be set out. That rise up, O Lord, rise up, O Lord. Let your enemies be scattered. Jesus rose from the grave. And the tomb is empty. And Satan has been defeated. He has no more power and authority over you. Got a letter from somebody, I don't know who they are, and somebody who says they've been working in this area and Satan has been tormenting them and in them and all of this, and, but I've, you know, defeating him and he's getting tired. And Christians aren't demon-possessed. We have the Holy Spirit in us, and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. A container can't be lit and both dark. When you go into your basement... And in this letter, he's talking about how he's rebuked Satan and screamed at Satan and all this. When you go in your basement, it's dark. You don't scream at the darkness, do you? You don't start punching the darkness. You turn the light on. You have the light of Jesus Christ in you. Satan's been defeated. Now, I know Satan's powerful. And I know he's going to try to get a foothold. And he's going to try to mess with your head. He's going to try to tempt you. But the thing is, he has been defeated and stripped of authority over you, Colossians chapter 2. Having disarmed principalities and powers, as the scriptures declares. Focus on the light. Resist the devil. Submit to God. He will flee from you as a promise. So you know what, Satan? You are the accuser of the brethren. But I know that Jesus loves me. He forgives me. His promises are true, and I'm going to walk with him. And man, turn it on the light. 
So Jesus rose from the grave, has given us victory. And then when it rested, Moses prayed, Return, O Lord. Jesus Christ is coming back, isn't he? He's coming back for us, whether our bodies wear out. He's coming back for the church and the rapture of the church. He's coming back to establish his kingdom. And I am so thankful for that. And so, Father, we do come. We thank you for this wonderful chapter of Numbers. The messages that were declared to the children of Israel are messages that are declared to us.